Hey, uh, let me just say this. Here's what I want you to understand. It's been said that the birthmark of a believer is a bullseye. Just understand that. The birthmark of a believer is a bullseye. If you're a Jesus follower, you're being stalked. The devil pursues us that he might destroy us. That's his whole purpose. Now, the good thing about that is God's warned us that this is coming. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus said, your enemy is like a lion seeking those whom he might devour, is what the Bible says. So, so, so we know it's coming, but we, we ought not be surprised when it happens because every one of us, if we follow Jesus, we've got a bullseye on us. I want to jump to a passage of Scripture. Eventually, we're going to get there in the book of John, chapter 21. And it's the story of Peter and Jesus. Uh, and in order to get there, I, I want to kind of set the stage. Like Peter was warned that, a, that he had a bullseye on his back. Jesus said, the devil's coming after you. And so I want you to watch this story. Before Jesus was arrested, he was talking to his disciples about the impending arrest and crucifixion. And this is what he said to Peter. This is what he said to Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, now his name was Simon Peter, so he's talking to Peter. Satan has asked to sift all y'all as wheat. He says, he's coming after all y'all. He said, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that what? That your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, understand what that means. He turned back, because why? Because he had failed. Well, I'm going to come back to that in a minute. Strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus said, Peter, get ready because Satan has asked to come after you. He's coming for you. And Jesus says, I pray that your faith not fail. He says, you will fail. That's why he's going to come back. But I pray that your faith not fail. And this is a huge thing we have to understand about following Jesus. There will be times when we fail. But the goal, the prayer, is not that we don't fail, is that our faith not fail. Huge difference. Peter's, Peter's arrogance says, even if they all walk away from you, I'm not going anywhere. I'll go with you to prison. I'll die for you. I appreciate the fact that Jesus knew Peter was going to fail. I appreciate that fact. Because that issue of failure isn't limited just to Peter. And Jesus wasn't surprised by his failure. And, and get this now, if he's not surprised by it, really he can't be disappointed in it. Because he knew it's coming. And when he went to the cross for failure, knowing my failure, when I fail then, he can't be disappointed because he knew. So as the story goes, Jesus is arrested. Peter's watching from the fringes. Peter's questioned in that moment, and he denies knowing Jesus. And then in that real, I think what was honestly probably a pretty intimate moment, Jesus looks at Peter after the rooster had crowed, and he realized in that moment of all that he had said, even if they walk away, not me. And he realized in that moment the depth of his denial. He remembered it all. Now let me ask you this question. 
Have you ever failed someone so badly you didn't want to see them? Have you ever... Have you, ever, have you ever failed someone so badly you didn't want to be around the person you had let down? You just want to crawl and crawl in a hole and hide and disappear? Like you would, you'd rather not ever see them again than have to face them. I, I've, been, I've been thinking about all the stories I could tell <laughs> from my life, and I decided not to tell you any of them. Uh, but, but here's what I know. Like we're in this series called The Wrong Jesus. And I need to state this every time I talk about it. There's nothing wrong with Jesus. But oftentimes we have a wrong understanding about him. And because our perception about him is wrong, then as we go through life and we think we're following Jesus, things happen. And we expect of Jesus something we probably shouldn't expect, or we expect he feels a certain way that he probably doesn't. And we have this skewed view of this Jesus that we think we're following, and it's wrong. And one of the things that we get wrong about Jesus is the belief that he holds a grudge. Now, we would probably never say that. We'd probably never say, well, I think Jesus holds grudges. We'd probably never say that. But somewhere in here, in most of us, we think, Boy, I really messed up that time. I bet Jesus is pretty unhappy right now. The story of Peter's failure was widely known. I mean, after this denial, after Jesus goes to the cross, everybody knew of his denial. You think, you think news travels fast in this place with Facebook and Twitter and the blast or whatever it is people put other people on. It's just like, like news back then. You talk about a bunch of, a bunch of Jews gossiping. Oh my gosh. You just like, and most people thought he had fallen too far and too hard to have any type of ongoing leadership. And so we come to John chapter 21. Everybody knew of his failure. And everybody thought he had probably fallen too far and too hard to ever come back from it. Chapter 21 of John is proof that failure does not mean permanent forfeiture. We've got to understand this. The book of John was written at, the, at, at almost the last chapter of John. John chapter 20. Verses 30 and 31, I'm going to read it. It, it says, it says th this is basically the end of the, of the book. It says this. Chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus did many of the miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. It sounds like he's wrapping it up. Verse 31. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. End of story. The book of John's done. It seems like that's the conclusion of it. But there's a whole other chapter. It seems as though John, who wrote the book of John, is saying the conclusion of the whole, this whole thing was written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing, have salvation in his name. But then there's chapter 21. Why is chapter 21 there? I think chapter 21 is written for all of those of us who have fallen and fallen hard. Chapter 20 was written that you might believe in Jesus. Chapter 21 was written that you might return to Jesus. 
I love chapter 21 of John. And it, was, it almost seems as though it was written because Peter's fall was so well known that everybody thought he's out. He's disqualified. He's done. And it's almost as if John said, no, no, let me tell you one more story. In case you're thinking that's the end of the story. John was the one that stood by Peter after all these things went down. John is the one that took Peter under his wing. John walked alongside Peter in, in community, in fellowship, in brotherhood. Here's what I know. Every one of us need people like that in our lives after we've fallen. We got all those kind of people like us before we've fallen, but after we've fallen, we need some who will come alongside, put their arm around and say, hey, we're going to be all right. When the women were at the empty tomb talking to the angel, this is all setting up John 21. When the women were at the empty tomb talking to the angel, this is, this is, what, this is what the angels told the women. Now go, tell his disciples, what are those next two words? And Peter. <laughs> Jesus is going on ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just like he told you. Tell the disciples and Peter. Now imagine what Peter must have been feeling at this point. Peter saw the empty tomb. And before John 21, Jesus had actually appeared to the disciples with Peter there. I mean, he, he knew. And so there was a part of Peter that had to have been happy. But at the same time, when these women finally told Peter what the angel said, and oh, by the way, Jesus said to make sure to tell you that he wants to see you. Can you imagine? Like, I'm happy he's alive, but he said me? Like he wants to see me? Like what goes through your mind when that happens? Like, oh, crapperola, this is going to hit the fan, man. He's finally going to tell me how he feels. Tell Peter. Now, what Jesus was saying was that tell Peter that he's not an outcast. Tell Peter he's still mine. Tell Peter he's still one of us. Tell Peter he's still important. Though that's how Jesus felt about Peter, that wasn't yet Peter's experience. So John 21, verses 1, 2, and 3. Afterward, after all this stuff, after all of John chapter 20, these things were written that you might believe in Jesus as a son of man, all that stuff, after all this stuff. After Jesus appeared to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. This is what John's saying. It happened just like this. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John. John just isn't naming himself, but he's there. And two other disciples. Who cares who they are? They're not even named. He's, Peter says, I'm going out to fish. And they all were like, well, I guess we'll go fishing too. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So here's Peter. He knows that Jesus wants to see him. And he goes back to fishing. This to me is evidence that Peter at this point still didn't feel like he was worthy. Still didn't feel like he had any credibility. Still didn't feel as though that he should be in any type of ministry or leadership. Was still carrying around the pain and the shame of his failure. See, in Matthew 28, Jesus told them, 
I'm going to rise and I want you to go to Galilee. I'm going to meet you on a mountaintop. They went to Galilee, but where were they? The Sea of Galilee is not on a mountaintop. They're down in the depths. See, they were kind of at the right place, but they weren't doing the right thing. They were kind of there, but not really. And they went back to their old ways, and they went back to their old habits, because at least it was familiar. Here's the thing. I want you to get this. It never works when you go back like it used to work. It's never as good as what it once was. It's not the same. And when oftentimes, here's how it works in the world of faith, when we fail and mess up, we end up going back to what we used to be and how we used to live. When we experience failure, it's natural to want to go back. It's natural to want to return to life of failure. These, these disciples, they had deconstructed their faith and return to their past. Now imagine, they'd fished all night and caught nothing. Have you ever been disappointed in life? Have you ever, like, run up to something and you're like, well, this is just terrible. Like, life isn't turning out like it's supposed to. Marriage isn't. Relationships aren't. Job isn't. Faith isn't. Church isn't. They're nothing. They had fished all night and caught nothing. Now, the experience of failure was painful. But when you add disappointment and frustration to it, it'll make even the strongest of people want to quit. And that's where they were. Now, this is so important. I want you to get this. In defeat, in failure, be careful not to go back to what you used to do. In defeat and in failure, be careful not to go back to what you used to do. See, God had much greater plans for these guys than making fish sticks. But this is where they were. Here's the thing. In, now get this. In times of current defeat, we want to go back to past successes, even if we're in danger of sacrificing our future. Be very careful in defeat. Not to just go back to the past because you'll sacrifice your future. And that's what these guys were in danger of doing. You know what this is like. Every young adult that moves away from home gets out into the other world that's out there and thinks this isn't as easy as what I had imagined. Right? It's like, <laughs> this is hard. Like, my friends aren't the same. My living arrangements aren't the same. That cool church I went to with a ball guy, that was awesome. That's not the same. And everything's different. And, and what most people want to do is just go back. Even if they're in danger of sacrificing their future. And that's exactly where these guys were. Now, there was a similar thing that happened early on in these guys' lives back in Luke chapter 5. If you're going back to Luke chapter 5, you see a very similar story. And these guys, in this, in, in Luke 5, were fishing when Jesus said, the way Jesus said, and they caught so much, the nets started to break. In this account, in John 21, later, they're fishing when they wanted, how they wanted, and they caught nothing. Here's what I know, and it's something good for you to write down and remember. Self-determined activity yields diminished results. God-determined activity yields abundant results. That's good stuff right there. When we launch out on our own, our own way, our own time, 
diminished results at best. We do it God's way, God's time, God's schedule. He's in charge of the results. I don't know where anywhere in the Bible where Jesus provided something and it was barely enough. See, it's a lesson they, like we, often forget. God-determined activity yields abundant results. And anything that we are involved in in life, if it's self-determined, it's going to be sparse at best. Verses 4 and 5. Early in the morning, now they'd fished all night, caught nothing, so Jesus is standing on on the shore. But the disciples didn't realize it was him. It's interesting. Every time Jesus showed up after the resurrection, nobody recognized who he was. And he could have been like keeping them from it because he wanted like, boo, surprise people. But it also could have been that Jesus still bears the scars of what he went through for us as a reminder of what we cost him, as a reminder of his love. And so for whatever reason, they didn't recognize it was him. He called out to them, friends, you got any fish? No. This is probably one of the first miracles Jesus did at the resurrection of fishermen actually telling the truth. I mean, usually when you're out fishing, how's it going? Oh, we got a couple bites, but nothing yet, you know. They're just like flat out honest. We got nothing. You know what, what, what did Jesus call them? He calls them friends. Literally he calls them fellas. He goes, hey, guys. That's literally what he's saying. He didn't use mean words, vengeful words, hateful. There was nothing about how he addressed them that would indicate that he had stripped them of their position, their relationship, their authority of their place. He just, he talked to them like he's always talked to them. Before they failed and walked away. And he asked them, hey, did you catch anything? Why does Jesus need to ask if they caught something? It's not like he didn't know. I mean, he made the very fish that they were trying to catch. Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus did not need an assessment of their situation. They needed an acknowledgement of their condition. That's why I asked them. He didn't need them to assess for him their situation. He needed them to acknowledge their condition, which was bankrupt. See, there are times that God allows great need to highlight the condition that we don't see in ourselves. And so the toughest question today centers around this issue right here. Have you acknowledged your condition? What condition are you in? That's a tough question. Because here's what I know. Times of need and times of failure reveal our condition. That's a tough thing to grapple with. So I will tell you one story about me. Um, me and my buddy BJ are making doors to go over this t- television that I put up on a wall and put doors. They look real fancy and nice. And BJ knows what he's doing. And I can understand what BJ's doing. Um, and, and so I was trying to help him get this stuff done. And it just wasn't working out. And I'm not going to go into all the details. Suffice it to say, when I try to hang those boogers by myself and these two doors come together, I had got a, a gap of a half an inch at the bottom of these two doors. And at the top, it's like an eighth of an inch. And they're just crooked. 
And the one opens and stays open, the other opens and shuts. The whole time. And last, I was like, what the? So upset. I had worked so hard, and I had worked so long, and I wanted it to be perfect, and it just wasn't working out. And I felt like I did when I was younger back in La Habra when a dang Christmas tree wouldn't stand up straight. And I opened a slider door to the tree and threw it in the backyard. Well, I'm done. I want to take those cabinet doors and stick them out my burn pile and just say I'm done. <laughs> you know, the scary thing is what I just said. <laughs> Need and failure reveal condition. <laughs> you know what that says about me? And, and that's oftentimes God says, look, I'm just going to, I'm going to apply a little bit. I'm going to allow some pressure because I want you to realize the condition of who you are. So anyway, I, I text my buddy BJ and he has to come fix them so it'll all be better. But uh, it's, but when you're in those moments of failure, you're like Peter. And you need a John to come alongside you, to put their arm around you. To say, hey, we're gonna, you're going to be all right. We're going to get through this. And when you don't have that person there to do that, it just, you're just left to, to, to stew. And, and that's where these guys are. Jesus didn't ask them how you're doing because he needed to know their situation. He asked them that question so they would understand their condition. And they were bankrupt. Verses 6 and 7. I love chapter 21 of John. Verses 6 and 7. Jesus says, throw your net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some fish. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, this is how John always refers to himself, as a disciple whom, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. <laughs> and as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he, get, he wrapped his outer coat on because he had taken off the fish. He puts his outer coat on and he jumps in the water. He's like, wait, the guy's a nut. Understand what it says. That John is writing this and he says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. That, that's really important because I want you to get this. See, John's focus was on Jesus' love for him, not his love for Jesus. Peter's grandiose statement, I would never leave you, focused on his love for Jesus, not Jesus' love for Peter. Do you understand the difference? The interesting thing, John always focused on Jesus' love for him, not his love for Jesus, and John was with Jesus at the cross. Peter focused on his love for Jesus, not Jesus' love for him, and Peter ran away. Before the cross. Do you understand how profound this is? I don't want you to miss this. See, the Bible says that we love because he first loved. That we can only love God and be loyal to Jesus in response to his love and loyalty to us. See, our love for him is simply propelled by his love for us. If we don't understand his love for us, we can never love him back. We can try all we want. We can do all we want. We can try to be good. All that is is religion. It's just activity that tries to prove who we are. And the powerful thing in this whole thing is to realize that I don't do any of that stuff with success until I first realize how much he loves me. And then all I do is respond. That's all I do. That's why the only rules are to love God and love people. Because when I understand his love for me, all I do is respond to that. 
and following becomes easy. Because it's not full of self-effort. If any of you have ever struggled with staying connected to Jesus, staying connected to God, with having that loving relationship with Him, the thing, the thing that will cause you to love Jesus more is just respond to how much He already loves you. And here's the great thing about that. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that nothing neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the coronavirus or the cold, not the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like nothing. And all we have to do is just simply live in response of that love. No, no. What did Peter do when he heard that it was Jesus? What did he do? Did he jump in the water? He did something before that. He put his coat on. Now, look, I, I told you, I got some people here in a building with me who are doing this. I told them not to be so quiet because it's really difficult. What did he do? He put on his coat and then he jumped in the water. Why do you put on your coat to jump into the water? It wasn't a life preserver. He put, he put on his coat and he jumped in the water. If you read it, you just think, what are Here, here's a couple of reasons. One is I think, one, I think he was just that excited to see Jesus. He was just that he was like, woohoo! He puts on his coat. I don't want to just wear my skivvies. And he just put, and he jumps in. And for a moment, Peter forgot about his shame. And that's the beautiful thing about falling in love with Jesus. Is that that allows you to finally let go of your shame. But I also think he put on his coat because what happened the last time he jumped out the boat. The last time he saw it was Jesus and he jumped out the boat. Uh, Mark, uh, Matthew 14. Matthew 14. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. They are on a boat in the water, and he's walking on the lake. He's walking on the water, Jesus is. And when his disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they thought. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately told them, take courage, it's me. Don't, 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 don't worry, it's, it's okay. Don't be afraid. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. Well, come on out, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out the boat and walked on the water coming towards Jesus. Last time he jumped out of the boat, he actually walked on water. And then it all went wrong. He saw the wind. He was afraid. He beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed hold of him and caught him. It's like, why did you doubt? You were doing it. See, part of me thinks Peter put on his coat and jumped out of the boat onto the water because he wanted to get back to that experience he once had with Jesus. And there's part of me that he thinks, man, I did it once. I'm going to prove to him how much I love him, and I'm going to prove to him I can do it again. And he puts on his coat because he's convinced maybe it'll work this time too. But see, the first time Peter jumped out of the boat, he knew he was helpless. And he knew he was powerless. He knew he needed Jesus to do it. This time, having boasted about his strength, 
Jesus lets him prove what he said he's capable of. This great faith. And Jesus allows him to struggle. They're about 100 yards offshore. They weren't real far. But swimming 100 yards in a coat is not easy. See, I think we're, I, at least me, I'm a lot like Peter. Because I tend to think I'm better than what I really am. And I'm stronger than what I really am. And I'm more faithful than what I really am. And many of us think we already are what we're not quite yet. See, Peter has said, even if all of them walk away, I'm not going anywhere. See, Peter would be that guy one day, but he wasn't that guy yet. And I think Jesus allows him the struggle of that just to say, hey, just have a sane estimation of who you really are right now, Pete. See, Peter knew his intentions, but Jesus knew his reality. This is, this is a little bit how we function. We tend to judge ourselves by our intentions, right? And other people by their behavior. Maybe we should slip those two. Maybe we should start judging ourselves by our behavior and other people by their intentions. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, Peter knew his intentions. And they were good. But Jesus needed him to struggle a little bit to understand who he still was. See, in life and in faith, something will always happen that will reveal the futility of our intentions. Understand that. In life and in faith, inevitably something will always happen that will reveal the futility of our intentions. But the good thing is that Jesus knows what we're capable of and loves us anyway. Even someone like Peter. Now, now this, this story's getting good. I realize that, that, that that's taking me a while, but it's good stuff here. Now watch what the Bible says, John uh, verses 9 and 10. When they had landed on the shore, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus has been on the shore. The guys are out on the lake. When they get to the shore, there's a fire of burning coals with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, will not you all bring some fish you just caught? Jesus is on the shore with the fire of burning coals with fish already on it. And Jesus said, why don't you bring some of what you had? Jesus had already prepared what they were out looking for. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like he's already got it done, what it is we're looking for. And he invites us to add to what he already possesses. And this is what we get wrong all the time. See, we want God to add his stuff to what we have. When the invitation is to add our stuff to what he's doing. We get that wrong all the time. That's good stuff right there. You need to write that down. You need to remember that. Because all the time we say, God, I'm about to do this now. Bless it. And that's never the uh, invitation of God. God always says, I'm doing something. Add your stuff to what I've already prepared. Then that is abundance. I don't know if y'all are getting this, but you need to get it. And it says Jesus is there with burning coals. That's the exact same term used as a little fire that was at the courtyard when Jesus was arrested and Peter betrayed him. It's the exact same thing. And it's been said that one of humans' greatest memory tools is the sense of smell. And in this type of burning coals, it, because of the, what they were using to do, the, let off this very distinct aroma. 
And suddenly, Peter was back at the place of his denial. Suddenly, he's transported back. Please get this. The wrong Jesus takes us back to our place of failure to condemn us. But the real Jesus takes us back to a place of remembrance to restore us. And they're vastly different. And Jesus has taken him back to that place of remembrance to restore him, to tell him, I still love you. You're still mine. You're still valuable. I still got a job to you to do. We're going to shake this world, Peter. Now, I, I, I love this part of John, of John 21. Verse 11. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. The net was so heavy that all six of them who were left couldn't get the net going anywhere. They struggle back to shore. They leave it there because it's too heavy. Peter, by himself, grabs the net and drags it to shore. It was full of large, like big old fish, 153 of them. But even with so many, the net wasn't torn. Here's what I love about it. What the disciples couldn't do together, Peter did by himself. What? Haul all the fish up. How did Peter do it when the disciples did, couldn't do it? Peter was able to do it because Jesus asked that it be done. Jesus said, bring them up. Peter brought them up. Here's what we have to get. God's commandments are God's enablements. What God commands, he then enables. This is profound. This is beautiful. This is life-changing. This is the difference between religion and relationship. God's commandments are his enablements. What God commands, he enables. Every command given to us in the Bible, every command God gives us in the Bible, God gives us then the ability, the power, the strength, and the resources to fulfill. Every one of them. See, what the wrong Jesus does is ask us to do things that are too hard. It's religion. I can't obey, I can't do, I can't perform well enough. The real Jesus enables us to do everything that he asks us to do. I got two things for you. And then he enables us to do everything he's asked of us to do. This is revolutionary and this is beautiful. God will enable you to do naturally or even supernaturally everything that he asks of you to do. Everything. It, you go back in about, you think of everything that God has, whatever God has asked in this book. He gives us the power, the resources, the strength, naturally or even supernaturally to do. He will not ask anything of us. He doesn't then enable us. Just the fact by his asking is his enablement. That's why Peter could pull the fish up. Let me wrap this up. Verse 15. This, this is a process of, of three that happens in, in verse 15, 16, and 17. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these folk? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Jesus said, female lambs. Here's what's going on. That interaction happened three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The first time Jesus asked it, he said, do you love me? You said that you loved me more than all these other cats. But do you really love me more than them? See, the Greek language is very specific and very telling. There's multiple words for love, and they mean different things. 
And what Jesus is asking him, he says, Peter, do you love me with an all-consuming love? All-consuming. That absorbs your whole being. And Peter's answer was, yes, Lord, you know that I like you a whole bunch. It's a different word for love. That was the first time. The second time, Jesus asked him again, Peter, you said you love me in an all-consuming way. Do you really? And the second time, Peter said, same thing you said the first time. Well, you know that I like you a lot. And the third time, Jesus changed to come down to Peter where Peter was. And he says, Peter, do you like me a lot? And Peter says, Jesus, you know everything. Why do you got to ask me that? You know I like you a lot. See, because Peter boasted and then denied Jesus three times, Jesus is driving home the point. Do you love me with the highest type of love? Peter says, I like you a whole bunch. Do you love me with the highest type of love? Peter says, I like you a whole bunch. Jesus then says, okay, you like me a whole bunch, don't you? And Peter said, yeah, you know it all. Jesus is driving home the point of Peter's denial. See, here's what we have to understand about Jesus. Jesus does not gloss over our failures. Jesus does not pretend like our failure is not a big deal. It is a huge deal. Jesus wants us to feel the pain of our failures. Why? Why wouldn't Jesus gloss over and get past it? Why would Jesus want me to feel the pain of it? So that we will know, so that I will know the power of his love, so that I will know that I'm never lost to him, so that I will know that he doesn't hold a grudge. I have to feel the weight of my failure so I'll know the magnificence of his love and how profound it is that he still doesn't hold a grudge. And that's what he's telling Peter. See, the wrong Jesus holds a grudge and holds our past against us. But the real Jesus says, I want you still to follow me because you're still useful and you're still purposeful and you still have a future even though you failed. Nothing's going to mute my love for you. All I want you to do is respond to that love. Band, come up here. i got to be done. Come up here. I love John 21 because it speaks so profoundly to people like me who know the depth of failure, who understand how far the fall has been, so that I can now understand how much God loves me. And I can understand how valuable I am to Him. And I can understand that He will never hold a grudge against me. See, here's what we have to understand. Because of Jesus' love, get this, Jesus does not hold against our tomorrow what we did yesterday. We have to understand that. Because He loves us so much, He doesn't hold against our future what our past says. Because He loves us so much, He doesn't hold against our tomorrow what we did yesterday. If our history doesn't have to be our destiny, as bad as our history might be, it doesn't have to be our destiny, what we're destined for. If we admit sin and acknowledge that Jesus is the way, and I commit to just responding to the love that He already has for us. I become more than the mistakes of my past, and I become more than my failures. Because Jesus loves me, you might know who I was, but He knows who I will become. Because His love is so profound. And this real Jesus is the Jesus that's worth following. 
This real Jesus is the Jesus that is worth just absolutely over the top freaking falling in love with. Every other person on the planet would hold grudges against you. Every other relationship on the planet would be destroyed. Every other scenario where people are together would absolutely be decimated except this one where he says, I know how much you love me and that it is not complete or full or perfect, but I love you that much anyway. No matter your past, God doesn't hold a grudge. If you come to Him and say, God, thank you that you love me in spite of my past. I just want to respond to your love for me. Here's what happens. His love is so profound. The love of Jesus is so magnificently beautiful. It is so earth-shatteringly powerful that it actually awakens us. We walk around in a stupor seeking to be loved by people. We walk around in a fog hoping that someone in the world would affirm of who we are. It is the love of Jesus that actually awakens us. It's greater than our failure and it's stronger than our faults. And the only thing I would ask today is the same thing that Jesus has asked when he told the women, tell Peter, he wants to tell you, I want to see you and I want to meet you by the side of the lake because I have something to tell you. And what I have to tell you is that I love you. And the only thing I'm asking of you is that you just respond to how much I love you. Just respond. There's so much freedom in that. There's so much liberation in that. There's no more rule. How do you have, make rules about responding to love? You don't. You just respond. If you give me rules about how to love you, that's not love. That's subservient behavior. And all Jesus says, my love is so profound. I will not hold a grudge. Just let me love, just let me love you a little bit. You understand what I'm saying? All you got to do is respond to that. That gum, that's good news. That's good stuff. I just preached a good message, Caleb. Thank you. Do you love me? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see.